Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is October 26th, 2020, and here with me as always is my friend who's going to give us pumpkin to talk about, astrologer <laughs> April Elliott Kent. You're looking spooktacular today, <laughs> Jen. Oh, you imp. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Are you alluding, perhaps, to the upcoming festival of Halloween? Oh, I am, and I almost couldn't get through that intro without just cracking up completely. It was everything you promised me a really good book today, and you did not disappoint, my friend. Well, hey, it's Halloween week. It sure is. And I was curious if you could share anything with us about Halloween pasts. Do you want to share a memory or like a current tradition? Well, here's our current tradition, and I'm afraid it's not very festive. We won't be doing it this year, but we have two dear friends that live right down the street from us, and they live in two different houses. It's a couple, Hmm. but they each have their own house on the same lot, which I think is just a fantastic solution. Wow. And I've never heard of that. It's great. One of them lives in the house in front, and then there's a little fence and a gate, and there's a house in back. Okay. So what we have been doing for Halloween for many years now is going over and hiding out in their back house and ordering Chinese food so we don't have to deal with trick-or-treaters. That's hilarious. So that is our tradition, sad though it is. What about you? What do you guys do? Traditionally, what we do is we go over to a friend's house. She loves Halloween. One of our favorite things to do is to bring something called spooky ghost casserole. <laughs> You interest me strangely. Tell me more. (laughs) Think shepherd's pie. Okay. It's in a 13 by 9 inch pan. Mm -hmm. But instead of a potato crust, what this has are little ghost shaped potatoes (gasps) popping up out of the casserole. You mix. Stop it. You mix the potatoes with some egg. And so they have a little heft and a little togetherness to them. And then you put two peas for eyes, and it's very <laughs> spooky. Well, now in wait, each ghost. how do you shape the potatoes? Do you sculpt the potatoes into ghostly images? Yes, you just sculpt <laughs> them into little ghosts, and then you put in two peas for eyes. And so what you have is, I don't know, maybe 12 of these little ghosts popping up, each with a set of pea eyes. Oh, that is fantastic. Is this like hot dish? I mean, I guess you could call it hot dish. In Minnesota, we like to call a lot of things hot dish, I guess. So sure. Is there a Campbell's cream soup in there? No, it's all homemade. It's all from scratch. Well, it sounds fetching. I want a picture of this. We do have a picture of Spooky Ghost Casserole. We have it from Halloween's past. Yes. I don't know if we'll wind up going over there this year. Maybe we'll just wind up going over and hanging out a little bit with masks mm-hmm. and socially distance if the weather complies. But, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see. Well, you're already getting snow there. It is snowing right now. Where is here in San Diego, it's going to be 86 degrees today. We live 2,000 miles apart in different worlds. Different planets, apparently. Different ecosystems entirely. Uh, it does seem like it, yeah. Jen, you said we had a comment or a question from a listener on our BigSkyAstropod.com website. Do you have that handy? I do. On episode 49, listener Jody left a question, and she wrote, If my birth certificate says 10 o'clock p.m. exactly, would you believe it was accurate, or do you think doctors were in the habit of rounding off? I was born in 1960, and practices might have been less particular then. Have you seen birth certificates of older eras being vague? Thanks. 
What do you say, April? Well, I have seen that. I know there are some countries where that is much more customary, or it was, to round up and do it to the hour or the half hour. Okay. I am always suspicious when I see a birth time on the hour, because chances are that's an approximation. And so my suggestion to people always is to exhaust every avenue to find your precise birth time. The things I will recommend to people, and again, this depends on what country you live in, even what state you live in if you're in the United States, but you can go to your county registrar of births and records and request your official birth certificate. So I think that's what Jody is saying, April. That it says that it's on the hour. If my birth certificate says 10 p.m. exactly, so... Right. Well, okay. And that takes me to the next step, which is you go to family records. Here in the U.S., it's been customary for decades for people to make a little baby book, and it shows all of that information. And sometimes parents are a little more specific. So a baby book, letters, you know, family letters talking about these things. People would record these in the family Bible. There are a lot of places that you can look, and I really recommend doing it and exhausting every avenue. If you can't find anything and you're suspecting that that's an approximation, and I think probably an accurate suspicion, you can get an astrologer to rectify your chart. It's a labor-intensive process. It can be a little bit pricey, but if you have an approximate birth time like that one, it's a lot easier for an astrologer to go through this process. And what they will do is look at specific important dates in your life that you provide to them. And they will look at what's going on in your transits, your progressions, whatever other tools they use. And they can usually find, especially from slow moving planets like Saturn through Pluto, coming to an angle or a sensitive point in the chart, because they'll be there. Like we've been watching Pluto. It's been in the same degree for like a month. Right. And so they can really use those kinds of transits or big events to pinpoint more precisely. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, what your birth time would be. So I think it's worth doing. And even if listener Jody just wants to do this on her own, own and knows a little bit of astrology, she can go back to those important moments in her life, deaths, births, surgeries, accidents, those kinds of things. Take a look at the transits for those days and compare them to her birth chart, especially looking at the angles of the chart, the cusps of the first and seventh and the fourth and tenth houses. Those are very sensitive. So I hope that helps. That's really quite frustrating for someone who's interested in astrology and is not exactly sure that the birth time is precise. So Jody must have a reason that she suspects her chart is not correct, or maybe she's just curious because it says 10 o'clock p.m. I mean, I guess it's important to point out some people actually really are born on the hour, though. I mean, they are. Sure, it can happen. So it could be that it's correct. What I'd say to people is if you have a suspicion that it's slightly off, it's more likely that your birth was slightly before the recorded oh, time. Oh, that makes sense. Because what happens is everything's happening, there's a flurry of activity and all of this, and it's like, oh, we better record the time near enough to 10 o'clock. Yeah. And they'll record that. That makes a lot of sense. I think we might have mentioned this on the podcast at one point, and I think this probably prompted her question. Yeah, I think so. Because I probably you know, gave this spiel before, but it's always worth repeating. Because astrology is based on time and location, and that's all we really have. And certain kinds of astrology you can work with pretty effectively with an approximate birth time. This might have been when we were talking about solar returns. 
we were emphasizing, you really need to have a very precise birth time to work with solar return charts. So that might have prompted her question. Yeah. And I will also mention that somebody that I know who was born in the 1930s, his birth certificate didn't have the time, but the footprint card did. Right. Somebody at the hospital or his mom, I'm not sure, had written the exact time on his footprint card. And so he had that. Exactly. Yeah, those are just the kind of family records that I'm referring to Mm -hmm. because they had all that little stuff. I don't know if they still do. But that little thing with, yeah, they would take the footprint and had all the vital information, you know, the weight and all of that. So good luck, listener Jody. Yeah. And I'll mention, too, that Stephen Forrest recently wrote an article. I don't know if you saw it, April. It was pretty Mm -hmm. recent in the last month, I would say, about trying to make a chart for his cat that he and his wife had His cat, of course. (laughs) Benny. Yes. Of course, I took keen interest in that story. And it was interesting how he walked through his thought process. Process. Yeah, that's what I thought was yeah. so interesting about it, mm-hmm. because it really... We'll link to it. Yeah, we will shed a little light on what happens in an astrologer's mind as they're making these kinds of decisions. Well, it's very frustrating. I have never had a cat whose birthday I knew exactly. And for an astrologer, it's nothing more frustrating. Yeah. But you can certainly make your guesses based on their personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Toby. Toby. So there you are. All right, pal. Should we dive into this week's astrology? What do you say? Let's take a look. And it's kind of a quieter week. Why don't you tell us what's coming up first on our show sheet here? Well, the week begins really on Tuesday, October 27th. We have Mercury retrograding back into the sign of Libra. And we have Venus moving into Libra. And these are both on the same day, just like seven minutes apart on that evening, 6.34 p.m. Pacific time for Mercury and 6.41 p.m. Pacific time for Venus. So back on September 5th, Mercury went into Libra for the first time. You know, it had gotten all the way to the end of the sign and into the next sign of Scorpio. So it's backing into the last part of the sign. And that would have taken us probably to our episode a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We would have talked about as Mercury was connecting with those tough planets. Yeah. So Mercury going back into Libra from Scorpio. Scorpio is where it has been, as we said, we called it a sleuthing Mercury, where it's trying to get to the bottom of things. It isn't always the most diplomatic in the way it expresses itself in Scorpio. It's interested in getting to the truth. Mercury going back into Libra maybe gives us an opportunity to revisit those ideas of diplomacy and fair play and all of the rest of it. What does Mercury represent in astrology, April? We've become aware we have some new listeners and give us a one line Mm -hmm. maybe about what Mercury represents. Mercury is about the way we perceive, process, and communicate information. Briefly speaking, it's the communication planet. When it moves into a new sign, it's taking on a new communication style or a new style of perceiving and processing information. So while it's been in Scorpio, as I say, it's been very into looking underneath the hood of the car and looking at all the greasiness and everything that's going on. But in Libra, as it backs into Libra briefly, it has more of a velvet glove kind of approach. It's you can still be very assertive and especially as Mercury connects with Pluto probably next week. We'll still want to be getting under the hood to the point, but we'll do it in a little nicer way. 
Thank you. I give you two thumbs up for that explanation. Thank you. Way up. (laughs) Now, Venus entering Libra is very significant. Venus, you know, the planet of relating to other people, of meeting people in the world, of not just being on your own by yourself, but connecting with the marketplace. And Venus is very, very strong in the sign of Libra because that's the sign that it rules. So it's going from Virgo, where it's been for several weeks, in a sign that it's uncomfortable in. Venus and Virgo is not considered a really strong place for Venus, because Venus is about just enjoying and appreciating and relaxing and having a nice time. And Virgo doesn't really work that way. (laughs) Virgo takes its pleasure and so forth from doing very Virgo things, working hard, organizing things, sorting things out analyzing them. It's not that it's a bad Venus, but Venus has to work a little harder there. Venus doesn't really love to work hard, so now we're going to put her in Libra, where she will be in her home sign. And we just picture her lying on a chaise long and with her bonbons and her fluffy slippers and perhaps a Persian kitty is how I'm picturing Venus. And really what it says is our greatest pleasure while Venus is in Libra through November 22nd is the enjoyment of other people. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been talking all along, of course, since March about how challenging that can be. And you were saying in your example up front about your Halloween tradition that you enjoy. And I was talking about mine. I mean, I look forward every year to getting together with those particular friends in that particular spot. They deck their house for Halloween, even though it's just us, no trick-or-treaters or or anything. And it's really special. It's a beautiful occasion. And I'm really going to miss gathering with our friends in that way. So I think Venus and Libra just challenges us to appreciate the interactions that we do have with people, do what we can together, you know, virtually or safely in person, whatever it is, because that's where Venus and Libra is happiest. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about last week, too, if you have a lot of planets like the sun or the moon, the rising sign, anything in the signs of Taurus or Libra, you will particularly feel this shift. Because Venus is your ruling planet. It rules Taurus. It rules Libra. So when this planet moves into a new sign, something happens for you. You know, your spirit lifts or it shifts or things get a little harder, a little easier. Things get a little bit easier, I think, for our Taurus and Libra friends who have frankly had a hard time of it. I mean, the Libra people have because they're fighting with Mars and Aries and they're fighting with all the Capricorn planets. So let's give them a boost and give them Venus in their sign. Yeah, give me a boost. Yeah, Jen, take this Venus that we are offering you. (laughs) Thank you, Phil. This Venus in your sign. It will be so nice for you. Well, that sounds nice. So the planet of what we love and the planet of how we express ourselves, they'll be in the same sign of partnership Mm -hmm. and they'll be on the same page maybe. Yeah, it's just a little bit more of a shift from Virgo, where we had quite a log jam a few weeks ago, and just, you know, further emphasis in Libra. A little more enjoyment there before everything then comes together in Scorpio. Okay. Jen? Yes? Do you know what time it is? What time is it? Moonwatch! Moonwatch! Play it! Jen, you are bringing it for the Moonwatch segment. People are going to be so impressed and pleased. I did not know that was going to come out my mouth, just so you know. This fabulous. Tell us, April, we've got quite a full moon. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we have this 
Halloween full moon. How perfect is that? It's perfect. It could not be better. It's a little bit spooky. Yes. We have the full moon at 8 degrees and 38 minutes of Taurus, which as we were discussing before is the same degree as my Neptune and my birth chart and your Jupiter. Correct. The moon at this full moon actually is at 9 degrees Taurus. And the Sabian symbol for this is lovely. It's a Christmas tree. Now, that might seem like a little bit of an incongruous image for Halloween. Sure. I can see why you would say that. It doesn't say a pumpkin patch for the Sabian symbol. It does not say a pumpkin <laughs> patch, no. I'm picturing a little tree with all kinds of ghoulish decorations. Well, you know, people are doing Halloween trees now. Have you seen yes, them? Yes, I have seen that. I mean, I've seen mm-hmm. it advertised. I haven't seen one personally, but yes, I have heard of them. I'm feeling a little bit inspired. I'm feeling like I want to buy, you know, that have peeps. Have we talked about peeps? Surely we've talked about peeps. I feel like we have. Do you like peeps? I actually really love peeps. Really? Yeah, they're real. I like that grainy, sugary <laughs> kind of quality of them. And they're cute. I don't like peeps, but I like how they look. They look super cute. So what I was mm-hmm. thinking was going to get some Halloween ones. It used to just be an Easter thing. Now they do Halloween. Of course. The peeps company thought, hey, let's have it be for Halloween also. That's right. It's not just for Easter anymore. (laughs) I was just thinking how fun it would be to go up to the pharmacy and get a couple of boxes of these different colored ones. And I have this little stick tree that I used to use. I can never have a real tree because I always have cats. And it doesn't work. They're always climbing up them or knocking things off. I see. And just stick some peeps (laughs) on my own little... That's great. I want you to do that, and then I want you to text me a picture of that. I think it would be great. Maybe we share it with our listeners as well. Sure, let's share it. So in any event, it's a festive symbol of the evergreen nature of life, which is a really good thing to be reminded of in this season of endings and of letting go, which is what the Scorpio season is about. That's true. It's also... A Christmas tree makes me think of presents, and presents make me think of surprises. Ah, surprises. Well, I think you're picking up on the energy of this chart very nicely. Thank you. Because what really is impressive about this particular chart for the full moon is that the sun is, of course, opposed the moon, as it always is at the full moon. And that means it's also opposed Uranus, which is sitting right together with the full moon. How perfect. Yeah, it's the things that really jump out at you most about this chart is surprises is what's coming our way. I also like the Sabian symbol for the sun, which is dental work. (laughs) And that is that degree that Jen and I share in common. They're at eight degrees and 38 minutes of Scorpio, actually. And it talks about going deep. You know, you have to sometimes be getting dental work. You're going in and you're getting rid of stuff that is kind of unhealthy. And it involves sometimes a little bit of a difficult process to get there. But it's always a healthier outcome when you get in there and you dig stuff out. It feels so good after you get a good teeth cleaning, you know? And then your teeth feel so shiny and smooth. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. It's a good feeling. I love that. So that is what this full moon to me is really about. Stuff comes up, stuff arises unexpectedly, which is Uranus. They're not always bad things, but they do tend to be things that take us by surprise. And the moon being in Taurus does not love surprises. And that's what's been so hard, I think, about transiting Uranus being in the sign of Taurus, as it has been since May of 2018, is that those two symbols are very incongruous. You have Uranus, which wants things to change. You got Taurus that wants anything but. Having the moon there together with Uranus makes us a little emotionally challenged, a little bit emotionally upset, perhaps. A little bit harder to sleep. 
a little bit harder to take care of ourselves in the way we know we should. And we are reminded that the things that come up and emerge for us at this full moon that feel difficult and challenging are for a good purpose. It really is the sort of scenario where what is coming up for us is going to motivate us to deal with some things that we haven't been dealing with. Like dental work, like if you haven't been taking care of the dental maintenance, and then you have to go in and it's like, well, just a cleaning isn't going to do it. We're going to have to go a little deeper, get under your gums, you do that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's a big full moon. And the energy of the full moon always is about illumination and awareness. Things come to our attention that have perhaps been there all along, but we haven't necessarily noticed them. But the image that we get of the full moon, we go out in the night of a full moon and it's almost like it's daytime. It can be so bright. Everything's illuminated. We can't really ignore things and we have to take care of our gums, I suppose, is the story here. So here's a question. Yeah. I've noticed in this chart that Venus is not making any aspects to anything, but every other planet or point is. And it kind of brought up just a general question for me about how do you read that when every other planet or point in a chart is making some kind of connection to all of the other ones? But in this case, as an example, Venus is not. Yes, what you're describing is an unaspected planet. And you can see it sometimes in somebody's birth chart. If they have a planet that's just kind of by itself, it's like it's stranded out there. And I do find that it is a planet whose energy is magnified and usually becomes a pretty prominent feature in the person's character. In the case of this chart where it's a full moon, you know, we're just looking at Venus and saying Venus is amplified, not only because she's in her own sign, which would make her strong anyway, but because Venus is about the essence of relating. And when it doesn't have another planet to relate to, It's like, you know, sometimes if you have your cell phone on and you're in a place where you don't have a good network connection or good Wi-Fi or whatever, and you still have your phone set on Wi-Fi or whatever, and it's constantly seeking, it's constantly looking for a signal. Mm. And so it drains your battery. What a great example. (laughs) Yeah, really fast. Yeah. So that's what I think of an unaspected planet. And with Venus, again, because the nature of the planet It's about connecting with others. It's like we're constantly, so much energy going out trying to find our people to connect with that it's a little bit draining, I think. That's very fascinating. It's actually the opposite of what I would have guessed. Mm -hmm. When I used to elect wedding dates for couples, I always tried to avoid, especially this scenario, Venus in particular, um, not having any friends in the chart, basically, is what this comes down to. (laughs) Yeah, Venus doesn't have a buddy. I know. Venus wants someone to play with. And the hard thing is that this Venus in Libra, it's very nice that she's in her own sign, but she doesn't have an easy road ahead of her in the sign because she will oppose Mars and she will square Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto eventually. Mm -hmm. You know, the best we can hope for is a nice sextile with the lunar node and quincunx with Neptune. Yeah, thanks for that. That helps clear it up. No, I'm glad you asked that question. This is a full moon that began with a new moon on May 4th, 2019. So within that, what we call that phase family, and we talked about that in an episode we'll link to in the show notes. There was a new moon on May 4th, 2019 that would have been very close to this degree, eight degrees and 38 minutes of Taurus. And that sort of began a two and a half year cycle that then unfolds with a major lunation every nine months. 
nine months after the new moon, then we would have had a first quarter on February 1st of this year. And now we're at the full moon. So we're beginning to see what we planted in May of 2019, basically, and see where we're at with that. And just to let newer listeners know, of course, a moon cycle is always 29 days. This full moon is a response to the new moon from a couple of weeks ago. But as you're saying, April, it's also part of a larger two and a half year cycle as well. Yeah, it's part of a larger cycle, which is a fun way to work with it because not a lot tends to happen in a typical month. It's true. I mean, things happen, but it's not a long enough cycle for something to really evolve. The new moon, of course, was in Libra on the 16th of October. And this, we will see some matters from that time, that new moon, that will be unfolding for us and being a little more evident at this full moon. Okay. All right. And finally, this week, our friend Mercury, who is still retrograde and, of course, has moved back now into Libra, will make a square to Saturn on November 1st at 11.06 a.m. Pacific Time. A couple of other things about November 1st. It's All Saints Day, the day after Halloween. And daylight saving ends in the United States on that day. That's coming up already. It is, and we really can't remind people of that enough, especially two days before an election where people need to uh, be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and get to the polls and remember to mail their ballot or whatever they're doing. So those are good things to mention. And what are the Sabian symbols for this one, April? I like them because they seem to have something interesting in common. The Sabian symbol for Mercury at 27 Libra is an airplane hovering overhead. And the one for Saturn at 27 Capricorn is a mountain pilgrimage. And what I liked about it was that these two symbols illustrate really different ways of getting to the top. I love that. Yeah, one of them involves hard work, step-by-step. That's the Saturn in Capricorn. And the other one just kind of involves stepping onto a plane Mm -hmm. (laughs) and hovering over the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a whole lot deep to say other than that, but just to notice that there might be moments here. You know, a square is always about conflict and friction. And that is an interesting dichotomy of, we might even say in society, some people seem to have it a lot easier than others. Some are trudging their way in this laborious Capricorn way up a hill. And the other ones are just kind of flying above it all, looking down, going, oh, look at all the suffering. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Interesting, though, to piggyback on that, that they're both kind of about taking a long view of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess if you're at the top of something, you can see far. Yeah, absolutely. So there is that difference in how they got there. Mm-hmm. But the similarities that they're both about looking as far as you can ahead. Yeah, and perspective. Oh, very nice. Having a higher perspective, you know? Yeah. I like that. It is the second in a series of three squares between Mercury and Saturn, and the first one was on September 23rd. So that's pretty recently, and we talked about that in episode 48, the Libra equinox and Mercury go sleuthing. And always, as I say, when we have a sequence of the same aspect three times, the first time is usually the hardest. Because it's breaking new ground in our consciousness. But if you want to go back and revisit that time frame around September 23rd, around the equinox, think about what was happening for you, about trying to get your voice heard with Mercury Saturn, because Mercury is about expression, working really hard on some project that is of a very cerebral nature, 
and see if you are kind of at another turning point with those issues here this week on November 1st. We'll have the final square between these two next week, November 6th. So we will be talking about it then. It's all unfolded kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. But Mercury, Saturn, you were saying that you've been feeling like in everything you were trying to do, editing the podcast and things last week, that it was like slogging through molasses. It was, yeah. Yeah, and there have been a few things. I think the point to that, there was the Venus-Neptune aspect last week. But also the sun was square Saturn, and now this Mercury square Saturn is the feeling of pushing so hard. And we're having to go back since it's retrograde and maybe correct some things that we didn't catch the first time. And it has to do with our personal relationships. How are we communicating with each other? Because it's Mercury in Libra. So it's about, am I being fair? Am I being kind? Am I being equitable? Am I listening as much as I'm speaking? And Saturn perhaps saying, no, you're not. <laughs> or, yes, you are. <laughs> you know, probably no, you're not, because it's a square. The palm. <laughs> the, the, the big palm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one final thing on this Mercury-Saturn piece, which is, if folks want to hear about what was happening when Mercury and Saturn met up back in January, that would have been January 12th, I'm going to suggest you give a listen to Episode 7, which I'll link in the show notes. And then we were also going to mention, because we do have some new listeners, if you want to go back and start listening from the beginning of our catalog from episode one, you should learn things as you go along the way, because we do try to put things in each episode that are useful no matter what's happening that week. Yeah, I think that's a really good reminder, because in a podcast like this one where we focus a lot on what's happening in a given week, you would be tempted to think that there's not a lot of point in going back. And listening to those other weeks. But yeah, as Jen says, there's a lot of stuff. Episode five, Unboxing Eclipses, has been a perennial favorite for people because there's a lot of just good, basic eclipse information. And we have more eclipses coming up at the end of November. So that'll be helpful. Yeah. So yeah, I second that emotion, Jen. Go back and enjoy the entire evolution of our podcasting journey together. Indeed. Well, my friend, that is everything on the show sheet. What do you think? Have we done it? We've done it, pal. One more for the archive, yes. Absolutely. Well, thanks to all of you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's the number one thing that you can do to really help us get some visibility and to attract new people to our little venture here. Leave us a rating, a review. And we hope that you'll help us spread the word. So tell a friend about the podcast if you have a friend that likes astrology. You can read our show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. Yeah. And Pal, did you want to mention about some ads and sponsors that we might have coming up? Well, yes. I mean, it's sort of a big moment in the evolution of the podcast, and we want to give people a heads up. And this is taking nothing away from the wonderful donations and contributions we got from people in our podathon. Yes. But we have been approached for a couple of sponsorship opportunities. And so you may be seeing some ads coming from us in the weeks ahead. And we just wanted to let you know, and we're hoping they won't be too intrusive. We only plan to accept sponsorships or advertisers for people and products we think you'll like. Yeah. So we hope, again, that you won't find that 
too off-putting. In fact, we have one we've turned away already. Yeah, we have. We're looking out for you, and it's an opportunity to let you know about some things we like, and also a, a little more financial help for the podcast. Yeah, and if you know anyone that might be interested in advertising or sponsorships, you can email us, april at bigskyastrology.com. My email is jen at bigskyastropod.com, and that's how you can get in touch with us. Yeah, because we would much rather be doing, we're going to be promoting a friend's project towards the end of, I think it's November, and it's a product we are so excited about. We are over the moon to be able to share that with you. So we would really love to do that if any of you out there have something that you think that we would love and that listeners of the podcast would love, by all means, let us know and we'll talk about it. Totally. So we are so grateful to people who have showed support during our recent podathon back in September. Mm-hmm. And each week, of course, we'll be thanking one of you by name. April, who do we have this week? This week, we want to give a shout out to Michelle Britt. Yay, Michelle! Michelle! <laughs> we appreciate you. Yes, we do. A thing that I know about Michelle is that she loves travel. Oh, nice. And she's a teacher as well. So clearly a big Jupiterian spirit there. And let's just send some good wishes to Michelle, because I bet it's a little frustrating right now to not be able to get out and travel. Shout out to all the people that can't travel because of the pandemic. To all the frustrated travelers. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I really miss putting that tray table in it, you know. In its upright position. Yeah, putting my chair in its upright (laughs) position. I miss those days. So, Michelle, thank you. We really appreciate you. And we want to thank you so much for listening to our little podcast and for supporting our Podathon. We really appreciate you, Michelle. Now, if you didn't get a chance to support us during our Podathon, you, of course, can always make a donation at our website, bigskyastropod.com. And if you kick in $5 or more, we will invite you to our top secret special episodes for the equinoxes and solstices. Ooh, that just made kind of Mercury tingle a little bit. Yeah. And sort of remember being in Scorpio, top secret. Doesn't that just sound delicious? We'll have another one, of course, coming up for the solstice at the end of December. Yes, absolutely. That is it for us this week, my friends. Join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.